0: Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost and Sullivan's latest webinar. Today's event is titled The Rise of Digital Enterprise, Growth Strategies for Healthcare Companies. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost and Sullivan's growth, innovation, and leadership briefings. Before we begin, I'd like to go over a few quick notes. We will have some detailed slides on this presentation, so there's a full screen feature available at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen you can also safely share this briefing at any time via social media, email, or blogs. Don't forget to submit your questions throughout the session today. And today's discussion will also be available on demand shortly after we've finished. Our presenters today are Niden Nyak, Global Vice President of Life Sciences here at Frost and Sullivan, and guest presenters joining us today are Dr. Thorson Harzen. Head of Digital Accelerator from Kaijin. Gail Kerbal, Business Consultant Director at Dossett Systems. Slava Agmin, Chief Analytics Officer, Berg. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Nidin.
1: Thank you, Anna. Well, good morning, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to this briefing by Frost and Sullivan's Life Sciences team. We are really excited to host this presentation and share three trends in the Life Sciences sector. Uh, Joining me today are three distinguished speakers uh, from the industry. Uh, Dr. Thorsten uh, from uh, Khayajan, uh, Gim Kabul from uh, Dasa Systems, and uh, Shlava Akhmev from uh, Board Healthcare. They have tons of experience in their respective domains and I am uh, privileged uh, to host them here today and get their perspectives on smart R&D, digital supply chain and patient engagement. So today's presentation will start with uh, some key uh, trends in the life science in- industry uh, and then I will invite uh, the three speakers to share their perspectives. We will also host a short panel discussion and then conclude uh, and keep the forum open for any question and answers. Just a quick note uh, to the audience. Uh, all attendees will receive a copy of Frost & Sullivan's 2018 Life Sciences Predictions which was published uh, last month. Uh, also we will have the program brochures. Uh, which could be downloaded during this webinar. So to get started, Frost & Sullivan Life Sciences Research Team uh, published the 2018 predictions uh, a few months back and I would like to share some of the key trends from uh, that (coughs) publication. The growth of the life sciences industry is really been boosted by healthcare digitization and democratization really creating an explosion in patient data. And there are different types of patient data, structured, unstructured, and that is really the challenge for most of the life sciences companies to manage the explosion of this data. And the conversions of also the biopharma companion diagnostics which is enabled by digital connectivity uh, is in some sense creating many exciting opportunities for this industry. So Frost & Sullivan's team of analysts uh, have been managing and looking at these trends, and I'll talk about some of the key trends in the context of today's presentations. So the first key trend is really in uh, drug discovery and uh, life sciences IT. So the growth in this industry is really driven by the adoption of AI as well as cloud-based platforms, primarily because companies are looking to improve efficiency and reduce development cost. So the key implications we see here is our growth opportunities in cognitive computing, especially in early drug discovery and development such as medical uh, medicinal chemistry and also in cloud-based genomics platforms. And and uh, our speaker today, uh, uh, shlawa will sort of elaborate more on his experience in that space. The next big trend uh, is on patient engagement, especially on machine learning based DIY real world evidence um, and uh, um, uh, Guillaume Kabul from the SOS system will elaborate that experience in some of the nice case studies he has uh, built for this presentation. And finally, I would like to kind of hit upon uh, the trends in uh, supply chain management. There has been a lot of focus on increasing optimization and also improving the productivity of the overall system. Um, And my speaker, uh, Dr. Thorson, will talk about how Kaizen has a very ambitious plan to embrace e-commerce and shift that paradigm completely uh, within the best breed of technologies. So why is digital really so critical? I think we talked about exponential growth in the amount of customer data and what we are seeing is there is now a conscious move towards creating and putting investments in three critical buckets uh, as we have sort of looked at uh, from our research at Frost & Sullivan. So we we identify them as pillars of digital transformation, so the first big pillar is Smart R&D, which is really looking at managing talent shortages, as well as how there could be ways to overcome suboptimal uh, management of trial, clinical trials, and clinical trials data. The second bigger pillar is a connected patient, and here it's the whole emphasis of patient compliance and also enriching the uh, patient experience um, in in the new sort of uh, digital economy. And finally, issues related to digital supply chain and manufacturing. So what are the key drivers for digitalization? I think we conducted a study and we looked at several parameters. The top three really uh, key parameters were essentially looking at establishing a very strong hold in innovation and boosting the creativity. The second was managing and improving customer experience. And the third one was really improving the overall productivity not just at the enterprise level but also within the customer uh, and their ecosystem. So these are really the key facets for why different companies are looking to continue and make their investments uh, in the digital uh, ecosystem. So with that short introduction, I will now uh, hand over to uh, Dr. Thorsten um, and let him share his experience on Kaigen's growth story. Dr. Thorsten please. Thank you very much, Nitin, for the, for the kind introduction. And a
2: very warm welcome on behalf of Kyogen. Kyogen is one of the leading uh, suppliers of molecular diagnostic solutions for both research and application in, in labs and hospitals. And actually, I'm glad for the opportunity to outline today how we as a, let's say, mid-sized corporate Uh, Tackle the challenges uh, of of digitization and and, well actually try 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 to leverage it for 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 our purpose and and make use of it. What I'm showing on the next slide um, actually it's it's pretty obvious, but I think it's still important to to talk about it. I mean while the disruptive forces of digitization have, have hit many other industries in much earlier like media like retail also like telecom insurance and banking um, our industry healthcare medcare biotech um, well was was uh, for quite some time felt a little bit like the like the island of the blessed with solid growth uh, good margins and very high entry barriers but in my opinion, this has clearly changed over the course of the past years. And uh, let, let me provide you two reasons for this. First of all, um, our or also our observation is that our customers they more and more expect the same digital experience when dealing with us uh, that they are used to from dealing with Amazon, dealing with Booking.com, dealing with Airbnb, and and all these uh, all these big companies uh, that are used to from their let's say from their private life and their. Let's say they're the, the b2 c world and and those, those people they, they don't differentiate that much uh, whether they they are working or acting in a b2 b or in b2 c environment and this, this was clearly this was clearly important to understand for us as kayaking when when we embarked on this venture four four years ago and the second driver in my opinion is really that also in our industry. Um, actually the, the, the real asset uh, is actually data. So the new oil also in our industry, like in many other industries, is data. And our specific case is the genomic data, and, and many of you are probably aware that a fully sequenced genome is uh, over one terabyte of data. And the problem is this data is unrefined yet, and we need to find ways to really make use of this data. That's what's, what's driving us, but also many other players in the company. And uh, to to solve these uh, challenges, I strongly believe that the the digital technologies uh, available uh, can can help us tremendously in uh, making better use of the data and also improving the customer experience. What does it mean for Kaigen? what what we also had to learn over the past course of years is that the competitive landscape is clearly changing at the moment. If you th- and if you think of your companies, uh, probably the same is true for you or so in, for you or for your industry. Um, in the past, uh, when we thought about uh, well about our our sales model, about our product positioning, about how well we are doing in general. We always looked at the the, the obvious competitors, like Thermo Fisher, like Sigma Aldrich, like Illumina uh, in the in the space of instruments. Um, but when we when we talk, especially about data, when we talk about digitization in general, actually new players are entering our our playing field, uh, like Google, who already i think one or two years announced that they're building a big uh, database of patient cancer data nobody knows yet what they're planning to do with it but they're simply building it um ibm with their with their watson uh, computer are 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 pushing pushing strong to get get into our industry and and apply their their computing capabilities there samsung already announced that the next generation of its galaxy uh, will not be a smartphone anymore but rather a medical device and and especially we, as a, as a let's say mid-sized corporate, but we should not underestimate that these companies. They have thousands of developers, thousands of data scientists. Um, so it will be hard for us actually to beat them in in, in this uh, or on this uh, on this playing field. Uh, although of course they are entering our home turf, and we might we might know the product better uh, and might know the customers better. But this is only a matter matter of time until this will change. In my opinion. And then last but not least, um, we have, we have many, or we see actually many VC uh, funded new competitors that basically pick one aspect of the, of the value chain, be it, uh, be it limbs or ELN, and uh, they try to excel in this, uh, this uh, specific aspect. And of course, the question is for us: are they a potential target for acquisition? Do we want to partner with them? Do we want to learn with them? Um, we definitely need to, need to develop a strategy how to deal with them and, and, and watch them closely. So this, this is uh, first of all the, the playing field uh, we are acting in has, has clearly changed and it's important, and this is one recommendation to all of you, uh, really, really look beyond the, the borders you were used to and, and, and watch closely what's, what's going on. What does it mean for collagen? Of course it needs or it requires focused answers first of all. We need to optimize by means of digitization, digital technologies, our internal process along the entire volume chain. I will get to, to this uh, in a couple of seconds. Second, we need to evolve the existing customer relations, with, uh, relations and the existing product and service offering, uh, especially about about improving digital experience. And third, of course, we need to transform Cajun's portfolio uh, through new digital products and services from a from a product centric company towards an insight centric company because we also believe that we do not uh, we will not generate all of our revenues from from kits and instruments uh, in the future but uh, more from from insights that we generate based on the on the data that that customers, uh, that customers are sharing with us Of course, uh, this, is a, uh, this, is a, this is a pretty challenging, it's a pretty challenging task. Uh, I just outlined, and of course, uh, in, a, in a corporate like Kyogen, we have roughly around 5,000 employees worldwide. Uh, you need some structure to tackle this task. And uh, what I'm introducing to you right now is the Kyogen Digital House, which guides our digital transformation across the entire company. Um, let me quickly go through the through the building blocks. Um, what, what what everybody has to get right in the beginning is really to to lay a digital foundation. This involves digital culture, actually because it's simply unrealistic to expect that, uh, that the digital culture will grow bottom up and that people will come to work on, on Monday morning and, and, and realize that they need to, to digitize their area of work or their, their, their specific processes. So this, this needs an impulse, and you have to set this impulse. And then we're doing this with, uh, with town halls, so with speakers from Google and Facebook, Uh, From retailers that already have gone through this experience of of digital disruption, Uh, we are doing lots of videos to explain Yammer posts, etc., etc. So we are doing a lot of communication measures to make sure that everybody in the company understands why digitization is important, why it is rather an opportunity than a threat for a company like Hyogen, and how they can contribute. Second, of course, uh, you need to get the IT infrastructure right. So we're moving uh, uh, most of our infrastructure into the cloud to be flexible. We've created a so-called data lake uh, into which we pull the data from all the different data sources, Salesforce.com, SAP, and all the other systems uh, to to enable our data scientists to run algorithms based uh, based on this data lake. This is just one example. Uh, of IT infrastructure and systems. And then, of course, you need, also need about, to think about an operating model. And we at Kyogen, we did this by, um, by uh, installing this uh, so-called digital accelerator, which I have the pleasure to head, which is really a cross-functional unit enabling all the other departments and areas within Kyogen to drive digitalization projects in their own area. And we have, we have data scientists, we have our own developers, we have UX designers, so, uh, a vast, let's say, a vast range of, of skills that are usually, that are usually not available in a, in a science driven company like Kyogen and that actually partner then with our, will partner with our colleagues to drive digitalization products uh, in their area. And at the same time, we're also running uh, all, uh, all of our e-commerce platforms. Talking about e-commerce platforms, that is what I mean by digital offering. So, uh, we have actually We have actually uh, created a number of, of of digital platforms that allow us to directly interact with our customers. We have a traditional web shop we have so called punch outs for our b 2 b customers we have a customer self service platform etc cetera, etc cetera. and actually uh, all this brought us from uh, from virtually no e commerce operations five years ago. To an e-commerce share or so a digital sales share of 40% this year, and actually we're aiming at 50% in 2020. So this clearly shows the potential of e-commerce in a B2B environment like Hygen is operating it. But but e-commerce, in my opinion, e-commerce is only about uh, digitizing the customer interface. But there's actually much more potential in a company like Hygen. That's why at the same time uh, every year we announce 10 so-called digital life lighthouse, where we look at specific elements of the of the entire value chain uh, be it the deployment of our sales force be it the uh, aspects of our supply chain or administrative functions um to to well to optimize these uh, these uh, value chain steps in by the use of techn- of, of digital technologies uh, the application of 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 robotics process automation in accounting is one example Uh, a pretty cool uh, IoT Internet of Things solution uh, with uh, RFID-enabled switches on the side of the customer is another example. The application of machine learning uh, in our production to reduce the scrap rate is a third example, etc. So we are running very concrete projects that actually show the power and the potential of digitization in many areas of the company. And the last layer, and that's, that's probably, uh, that's probably uh, uh, a really important one, let's say, in the, in the, or will probably be the most important one in the midterm, is about digital innovation. And how can we really develop our business model further beyond kits and instruments, and um, to, to adjacent or completely new business fields using the technology that are available today the trends we see in the market so of course we are we are thinking about making the lab even smarter by by connecting all the instruments and connecting the data flows um, we think about uh, the the application of of, of uh, big data and analytics uh, for healthcare purposes and we are also thinking about a stronger customer orientation We're not to talk about customer I uh, talk about end customers, so the, the patient, and uh, uh, yeah, for, for, for all of these these fields, actually, we are looking at very concrete business models and piloting them. And in the end, all this uh, all, all this has the goal uh, to basically boost our mission, uh, which is actually sample to insight, and in this case, digitizing sample to insight. So let me. Let me briefly share some of the learnings we generated. Uh, first of all, it was really important to start from the customer to get also the the, the support and the buy-in from the organization. So we started with e-commerce uh, five years ago, and as I mentioned, we scaled it up to 40% e-commerce share this year, and we have, have uh, more ambitious goals ahead. Uh, but it was good to show early results here to get the buy-in and the trust uh, for the digitization. Second, articulate digital strategy and vision early to provide guidance. Uh, so from the very beginning, we made it clear um, what is what what, are, what, are, what is our aspiration by digitization, 50% e-commerce share in 2020, but also some supporting goals. And so people know why they they are supposed to do it. Third. Lead from the top. It's important that you get the backing from the CEO or your board for this topic. It's nothing that can be that can be driven uh, bottom up. It needs to be announced and driven and supported as a top down initiative. And then, by means of communication and a cultural change, you to change. You need to take the, take the people with you. Fourth, build a dedicated team. In the accelerator, we have a team of 60. Uh, two people very skilled experts, mostly from industries outside uh, outside our own industry, so we have people from eBay uh, from from Google from various consultancies from b two c retailers uh, even from from some online dating companies uh, that help us actually in bring exactly the knowledge to the table we need. Fifth the digital culture. I mentioned this already it's important that on a constant basis, you tell the story. Uh, you, you, you provide examples and you convince the people actually why it's important, why it's helping them in, in, in their everyday life, and to drive digitization it's nothing they should be afraid of. And six, be agile and provide tangible results early. That's exactly the ideas of the Lighthouse. So Lighthouse uh, is always a, a small project, never longer than, than 12 months, uh, with the clear idea to to well to, to go through the whole process from ideation to implementation in less than 12 months and deliver tangible financial impact within the 12 months and uh, we were managed we managed actually to deliver this for uh, the majority of the lighthouse project last year and this really brought us a lot of a lot of credibility that's it from my side already, pretty pretty quick run through and I'm happy to take questions at the end or if you have more questions or one of the more intense discussions, my contact information is at the end of the presentation and feel free to reach out to me anytime. Now I would hand over to Guillaume from Dissault Systems.
3: Thank you. So I don't know, maybe you never heard about Dassault System, we are a software company, but I'm pretty sure that you've probably used and I can bet that the car or the plane or the computer you're connected with is or has been designed with some of our softwares. Maybe the bottle of shampoo and even the shampoo you used this morning is somehow designed with with some of of, uh, our software. So, we are uh, helping the development of many type of product and i 'm working and i 'm belonging to the uh, life science industry group i 'm a biologist in the, in that team and what we are uh, doing is uh, helping um, our customer to develop uh, patient uh, experiences because even if I think and i I discussed about Product, car, plane, shampoo bottle—we define ourselves as a 3D experience company because we believe, as most of you and uh, most of our customers, that the product is not enough. What matters is is the uh, experience. And in pharma, especially in life sciences, we all know that we don't really care of the product; we care about the uh, the result and the way we are uh, we are uh, helped. So, so what what does it mean for um, for uh, life science uh what does it mean changing transforming the patient uh, experience it means that you could have things like this so what you have on the left is um um a quite complex still innovative uh, medical devices which is injecting uh, um uh drug to the patient. and on the right uh the work of innovative team uh which are trying to um Simplify the delivery and ease the delivery of the drug to the patient. So it could seem as something which is quite simple, as you can see there. But I'll just let you imagine the shift into the uh, the way the patient is is um, is ill. It's not something which is happening within the hospital. It's something you can. It's a product you can carry with you every day at the patient. And imagine the fact that this. Device is uh, glued, sticked to the skin of the patient in which ca- it can allow continuous uh, delivery of the drug. So it's drastically changing the way um, the, the drug is delivered and the way the, the patient the the, the the treatment. But what are the consequences if you try to develop this kind of experience? You can also understand that um, if you do that, the drug itself, the biological or chemical drug which is inside the, this um, um, uh, inge- injection chamber is, is is not enough. You have to develop the best glue, develop the best case for the device, work on the fluidic activities, on um, the electronic, and, and many things. So you have to embed new skills and new, um, new processes in um, in your um, in your um, in your business. So how can you uh, how can you um, do that? that? That's what I will try to um, to um, to explain in the in the next slide. If you want to switch from and I will take some example from the pharmaceutical business. If you want to switch from being able to discover just discover molecule and substance to creating patient experience, then you will not just have to focus on the uh, the usual and the classical, I would say, R&D process, which is which can be long, ten years in in pharma, moving from candidates to to uh, substances, but being able to um, reach your patient in global market with all the configuration, the type of product you have. So if you think, if you consider the development of your experience in that way, you, you will realize the complexity of the type of information you need to, uh, to manage in that, um, in, that, um, in that scope. So because we are here to talk about uh, digital, and data, as introduced by by um, uh, Kayajin and Nitin, and and, uh, and presented in the in the Kayajin, uh talk, I want to um, maybe spend a couple of uh, minutes on this topic of uh, smart R&D mentioned by Nitin in the in the introduction, and and what we can call as think, uh, I would say think uh, smart. Could you use? So how can you? Um, how can you manage the, uh, and benefit from the from the the, the, the data flow uh, in order to influence and infuse information into your research and, uh, and development in your in your uh, uh, design uh, activities so that 's the topic we are trying to address uh, when we are deploying the uh, the platform we are selling what we are trying to do is to provide both collaborative innovation capabilities to embark the various, uh, team and the various, uh, um, expertise, the various business te- businesses in the, uh, in the, in the development, but also allow operational excellence to accelerate the, uh, and optimize the development of the product. In order to do so, you need to connect discovery, preclinical, clinical, clinical feeling and commercialization all together. And we believe that providing the digital continuity and the data integrity is a way to, to do that. But the thing is that if we consider, if we, if, if we know that when we talk about uh, this digital topic, we know that in the day we, 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 we live in the world we live in, everything is turned into digital. It's, it's something which is quite, I would say, common. But the reality is that we know that these data are not always reflecting the reality and the real information. So when we discuss about this real world evidence, it's it's about how can we be sure that the data we are collecting are reflecting the reality, are reflecting the real usage of our product and can be used in order to influence or confirm or control or drive in a smart manner your, uh, your uh, research and development. So I will go quickly through the uh, heterogeneity and the challenge of that uh, of that uh, of that uh, um, things we are trying to do. A lot of data, um, uh, complex data, costly process, and uh, but it is what our customers are trying to do, especially in pharma, reuse and recollect this information turning that into evidences in order to better drive the development of that their, of their product. And we believe that the, the, it's possible to do that if, and I will turn around this uh, quadrant in, uh, uh, starting from the top, if we are able to connect the people together, if we are able to collect and interpret the, 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 the data. And something which is probably less common, if we are able to compare this data with um, a model-based approach. So if we were able to describe things, processes, behaviors, diseases into a model-based approach, then we could be able to simulate, try, uh, um, um, optimize the uh, the execution of the processes or the uh, the behavior and the activity of your device of, of and your drug, and that's what we call the the combination and the com- the comparison of virtual and real. So when we talk about virtual activities and simulation in that digital approach with that software, it's not to replace the real; it's to com- to. Com- to, to, to um, um, bring more data and compare that to, 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 the, to the reality exactly as when you are using your GPS tracking and navigation software in order to simulate your journey to optimize your trip it will not replace uh, uh, you driving your, um, your, um, your car and uh, I will uh, uh, give you um, a couple, uh, ex- one example of things we can do in order to do that and how we can leverage the real world evidence to do uh, things like this. So, in order to address this, what it's called in that business, the precision uh, medicines using real world data driven uh, foundation in combination with, uh, the, with a model based uh, approach, with uh, an example for a from a, from a, a company uh, uh, named um, bio serenity uh, company which is uh, doing this um, uh, smart um, um, shirt and hat, um and uh, so which are full of uh, sensors and so the idea there is to monitor um, um, electro uh, so cardiac, muscular and, and brain activity do, doing EEG, ECG and EMG in order to monitor what's happening on that patient. And this patient is suffering epilepsy. The idea there is to be able to understand what's, uh, what is occurring at the patient level in order to, um, to uh, monitor and if possible um, predict and Alert uh, the um, the um, uh, if, if, a, if an epilepsy crisis is uh, is uh, is occurring. So we can use this type of devices to collect what's happening exactly at the patient level in order to understand uh, what's happening for this uh, maybe the, the, the if this patient is taking a drug or the or the disease at the commercialization phases. But you can we can also use. Um, this type of device during the development of your, of your drug in order to uh, equip patients embarked in, uh, in clinical trials in order to, I would say, almost in real time, adapt, optimize the way you uh, run and execute your trials on, uh, on the various uh, patients. And the idea behind that is to say that we could benefit from the connection between these devices and a platform in order to collect accurate data and turn that data into uh, um, into uh, into real information, into evidences in order to, I would say, rebuild the bridge between science and medicines. So, with that example, you can imagine that uh, you can collect. So in that case, simple example, simple type of data coming from the patient. But really the way um, I'm asking you to consider the, uh, the, the this digital transition within the, uh, the licenses company uh, that, in fact, there is this huge heterogeneity of, of data and we want to be able to, to, and we believe that this data is the corporate memory of the uh, the um, the uh, of of the company and we believe um, that uh, really the challenge is to turn this data into something which is knowledge and which is reflecting the reality we all know that we know things and what we have in our database is it's not always it's not always the reality but if you think into digital continue if you allow and ensure digital continuity and data integrity along the development of your product, then you will um, ensure the fact that the data you're working with are reflecting the reality and helping you to, um, to really drive your, your, your business and address, the, um, um, and address your market with the, the proper experiences.
4: great Uh, thank you Guillaume I guess I'm next my name is Slava Akma I'm the chief analytics officer at uh, Berg Uh, Berg is a biopharma company we've been in business for more than a decade and I think we are um, uh, first company in the biopharma space that invested tremendous amount of resources and build a strategy a commercial and business strategy around using artificial intelligence and data-driven technologies for um, drug development discovery and uh, clinical trials and precision medicine. Let me advance the slide here. What you see on the left side is a typical drug development process where we usually start in the field with a hypothesis and look at a specific uh, target or a compound of interest that uh, may be relevant to a disease and then we pursue that uh, target and compound through a series of validation ex- experiments whether it's in vitro in the laboratory animal experiment experiments and then um, continuing that into clinic human clinical trials what uh, sort of the problem here is is uh, many of us are aware is a very low efficiency of this process and throughput um, probably 99.9 by um, uh, some folks estimates of these programs and efforts fail throughout this process and only a few of these uh, compounds or leads become real therapeutics that are approved in the marketplace I think I just heard yesterday from uh, someone in a conference that over the last hundred years there were only 1,500 uh, drugs that were approved by the agencies that are on the market right now so it's a it's a staggering low number and what we're trying to do at Berg is to make this process a lot more efficient and optimize it towards generating programs that are, have higher likelihood of succeeding. Um, the way that we approach things is really our sort of model is going back to biology. We start from um, patient material. We start from uh, biological samples, fluids, and sometimes tissue samples, explants that are generated and obtained from real patients for a specific disease. We query that material with um, uh, this platform that we developed called Interactive Biology that uses high-throughput multiomic profiling. And uh, our expertise is really um, in big ways in mass spectrometry where we look at molecular phenotypes, proteomics, metabolomics, and lipidomics. And then we analyze that data by using top-of-the-art artificial intelligence methods such as Bayesian artificial intelligence and using our own uh, internally developed proprietary algorithms to understand the connections and the relationships between various modalities in these data sets. And what I mean by that is linking clinical data, uh, medical history, digital information that we obtain from from these individuals and patients to all types of molecular data, not just genomics, uh, DNA and RNA, but linking it beyond that and looking at what's happening with biochemistry and metabolism in these patients. And it's specifically important in diseases such as diabetes, cancer, as we look uh, very closely at cancer metabolism and and other disorders, immunology, where we need to understand what is going on with um, antigen expression and things that go beyond uh, pure DNA and transcript profiling. So we understand those mechanisms and develop these maps um, that are very transparent and uh, clear to understand what is going on as far as molecular signaling and pathways, data-driven or predicted inferred pathways compared to the disease pathway, and then we begin to understand where the key regulators of the pathway reside to target them with chemical interventions or other types of potential therapeutics. So why do we use uh, Bayesian artificial intelligence? And then just a quick illustration to all of you uh, why it makes sense for us. What you see on the left side of things is sort of an example of scientific intelligence. It's a well-known crab pathway uh, with glycolysis and other types of uh, basic metabolic signaling that happens in, um, in almost every mammalian cell. We understand that pathway really well, and we had spent decades as a scientific community to figure out each enzyme and each substrate and the product and the pathway. Uh, and, and It often happens that um, when people work on a specific target or a gene and they begin to understand upstream and downstream mechanisms, it takes a few years for maybe a postdoc or, or a group of graduate students and postdocs to actually do the experimentation and figure out a few of these mechanistic um, relationships that drive specific disease phenotype, looking at, I don't know, tyrosine kinase or, or uh, some sort of receptor that may be interesting in, in a specific disease. What we propose here is to change this paradigm and automate by using artificial intelligence to create these automated maps of con- contextual relationship, molecular relationship that we can study for any kind of indication and any sort of disease model that, that is um, uh, being assessed in the laboratory. Um, in this particular case, Bayesian artificial intelligence has definitely a leg up on other machine learning tools because we, uh, in addition to looking at statistical analysis and predicting these server relationships, we can also predict probabilistic causality in these models. We can look at uh, all types of data and integrate clinical data with molecular data, and essentially what you get here as a result is a is a network that is a white box algorithm, and you can readily assess what types of changes in uh, molecular mechanisms or uh, digital data can lead to specific changes in clinical outcomes. So I, I think there are many advantages for using these types of approaches, and we've been very successful in utilizing these uh, berg interactive biology platform Um, what you see on the the last slide that i have is our clinical pipeline we have a number of assets and clinical trials in humans uh, phase two pancreatic cancer trial we have a a couple of phase one trials ongoing and other diseases we have a number of um, compounds targets and potential candidates in neurodegenerative diseases parkinson's disease and alzheimer's disease Um, we have uh, novel targets and compounds in diabetes and we have a very extensive program in diagnostics where we work in the area of prostate cancer, Parkinson's disease, autoimmune diseases, and other types of indications where uh, we have discovered novel biomarkers for either disease detection or uh, sort of, uh, understanding better disease progression in some of these patients and we're at the uh, various levels of commercialization in in many of these programs. I'll stop here and um, turn it over back to Nitin. Thank
1: you, Shlava. So you've heard from uh, the various speakers how adoption of uh, uh, different technologies, especially in drug discovery, clinical trials, as well as e-commerce have improved overall efficiencies in the system. Uh, data monetization and e-commerce business models are expected to open new revenue streams and we expect most uh, mid-sizes as la- uh, larger companies uh, to take this paradigm shift from not just the traditional model of quantitative-based uh, fee-for-service but also moving quickly to value and outcome-based uh, fee models. Uh, let's uh, sort of open up the discussion for some uh, questions. So I will uh, uh, go to uh, Shlava. Shlava, you talked about th- this interesting paradigm shift involving uh, diverse set of human sample, high quality data, uh, and also leading to technology and top talent. This is, to me, very fascinating uh, change from a human resources standpoint. So the question uh, to you is: How will this new generation of discovery platforms? transform the role of discovery scientist. Uh, are, are we really seeing an, an evolution of you know, potentially uh, augmented reality chemists? Is, is that the next uh, big bold move?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think um, if you look at some of the analogies in other <laughs> industries or other areas, uh, for example, you know, we'll look at forensics. Um, and you think about how 100 years ago uh, people would go about solving a crime and, and doing criminal investigation and uh, you know the detectives would go and talk to a number of people and they would look at some uh, very few photographs and uh, kind of begin to understand what happened. These days with automation and surveillance you can do these types of activities in an unparalleled fashion. You can look at billions of uh, sort of picture frames coming from security cameras. You can analyze data in a very much high throughput fashion, looking at uh, potentially some of the web activity and, and other things that are happening, sort of online and, uh, in the publicly available resources. So, if you think about this, how much disruption's been in the um, uh, crime investigation industry? This is, to me, very similar that is happening with the pharma space, as sort of your typical scientist that is leading a disease program soon will be able to access so much analyzed and interpreted data that I hope that it will sort of expedite this process of um, try and try and tr- sort of trial and failure in the industry where I said you know 99.9% of these programs don't make it into market well Can we look at maybe, instead of looking at one target, can we look at 100 targets at the same time and the same sort of uh, time span and the same amount of money invested? Can we pick the best candidates at that early stage that have much higher potential to go through clinical trials in animals and humans and actually materialize as a real therapeutic? So this is where the power is. Can we actually look at many, many more possibilities upfront at the discovery stage and select by using artificial intelligence and our prior knowledge that we've accumulated over the years, select the right candidates that will go into the human trials so that instead of having, uh, you know, 10-15% success from phase one to phase three approval, we might actually have 70-80% success from phase one to, to approval, right? And I think that's where the transformation is going to happen very soon in the farm space.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome, uh, you know, looking at your pipeline and and, uh, interesting work, uh, especially on very complex targets like glioblastoma. Um, So that would be really, you know, impactful to, you know, get some breakthroughs there. And also um, the brilliant news for the industry that we really spawning new, new, uh, you know, sets of, you know, competencies and capabilities for the industry per se. Thank you, Shlava. Uh, I would like to, uh, you know, pose this question to uh, Thorsten. Um, uh, you you mm-hmm. talked about changes in the competitive landscape, including some big moves, yeah, by tech companies. Uh, how do you foresee companies, traditional companies like yourselves, really operating with this new model? Uh, keeping in mind, you know, these big tech companies, you know, have huge cash and 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 you know huge arsenal of uh, engineers working on uh, technologies such as AI and blockchain mm. well um, as I said, and this is also my my final
2: remark actually so I, I think no no action is, is clearly no option. so just to sit there and lean back and say well that's that, 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 that's a fight we, we we cannot we cannot win anyway so what we did in is I mean we clearly uh, we clearly invested in this topic we built up a dedicated team uh, we make this, we make this, uh, especially this e-commerce share. We make this one one of the top, ten, ten top goals of the company. So there's clearly a lot of dedication, a lot of effort, a lot of commitment uh, in our company to drive this. Is this enough to beat the big, the big players? I don't know. That's why why it is important. Uh, what what I what I mentioned is to really look, let's say, beyond the barriers. barriers and look for potential partnerships, look into acquisitions of small startups, um, et cetera, et cetera, to really join forces here. And also join forces could also be to join forces with competitors. I mean, from a customer perspective, I don't want to go to 10 different platforms to shop my products, so why not think about building a joint marketplace? Why not uh, think about uh, creating, a, a, let's say, a, a joint standard or a joint data lake where all the instruments I have in the lab uh, feed their, their data into. So I think these are these are the approaches we need to, to think about. Um. Well, to 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 actually su- survive or even succeed in this race.
1: Thank you, Thorsten. Hi, Guillaume Uh. You know, uh, just a quick question for you. You you talked about uh, model based and real world data uh, driven foundation transforming patient experiences. Uh. You know, while AI is is better at interacting and engaging patients in real time uh, virtual reality you know benefits patient by creating immersive experiences so so the the big question to you is do you really foresee this conversions of AI and VR to transform patient experience uh, would be good to get your inputs
3: yeah, sure. And, uh, good, good question. Thank you. Um, yes, and, and, um, of course, uh, we are coming from the 3D, uh, uh, within the system. Yes, the topic of VR is something which is, which is, uh, super important. And we used to talk about IV for immersive virtuality instead of, of, uh, of just VR. Um, yeah, we see a couple of things like, uh, and especially when we think about the experience, the patient experience again, and there is a couple of, um, of uh, initiatives where um, uh, physicians and, uh, and um, medical uh, specialists are trying to use the VR, especially in neuroscience, in order to try to, synchron- to, to uh, trigger physical emotion. Uh, to the patient and synchronize this uh, using VR and synchronize this physical emotion and turn that into digital emotion, especially when you uh, think about neuro rehabilitation, when you can use the virtual environments to increase the. Uh, the patient rehabilitation, and it's something which is also going in the direction of this uh, point of cure or hospital at home I was discussing discussing in my in my um, um, uh, in my introduction and if we try to mix that so you can easily understand the use and the potential of uh, artificial intelligence on the top of that and globally yes uh, the patient experience will be disrupted. Disrupted by the artificial intelligence with the voice interaction AI technology or the aid uh, uh, diagnostic, but as I'm more interested up by the design of the patient experience itself, I'm trying to. I'm interested by a company, and there's also startups doing that, and they're trying to mix um, uh, VR and artificial intelligence in order to catch and capture the uh, gesture from the surgeon, so the je- surgery gesture in order to understand how a surgeon could use uh, a certain medical device, a stand for instance, and influence the way the device is using the artificial intelligence, you, uh, the device is developed in order to better fit with the way it will be used. And then rather than using real patients to test or try what's happening, you're using the virtual reality and the artificial intelligence to um, to, um, to um, to do that, um, that uh, test.
1: Fantastic, great. So, um, I, I think let's uh, you know go and uh, try and uh, look at some of our key takeaways. Uh, I mean, essentially, you know, based on what we have heard from the speakers and and uh, what our analysts have been researching, um, we at Frost and Sullivan strongly believe that there are significant reforms in in some of the bigger markets, US, big five European countries, and this synergistic effect of having advanced technologies, AI, cloud, big data, uh, will just only get uh, the life sciences industry uh, to see magnificent growth. Uh, Frost & Sullivan recognizes this uh, disruptive transformations created by Kaigen, Thrust Systems, Burge Healthcare to break this traditional business models. And uh, this is really expected to accelerate Cross-industry collaborations, uh, and 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 we hope that um, as the speakers have talked about, uh, there will be best-of-breed technology and sharing of know-how between the different competitors, and and, and not just uh, looking at mm-hmm. their individual uh, customer tasks. Uh, I would just uh, let the audience look at some of these concluding remarks uh, by the speakers. Uh, I think these are very interesting to note and and also take back some of the learnings from their best practices and their uh, journeys throughout this journey um, and use this in our uh, uh, growth stories as well as uh, for our uh, planning purposes. With that, uh, I will hand back over to Anna uh, uh, to talk about the next steps.
0: Thank you so much, Naren. So um, our next steps here, if you'd like more information on this group briefing or growth partnership services, you can please reach out to us via our GoFrost line at one 463 7678 or you can send us an email to myfrost at frost.com. You can also follow us on any of our social media sites, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, to keep up to date on upcoming webinars, research, and press releases. And um, it looks like we have uh, a question here from, uh, from the audience. Uh, the question reads, you talked about digital biomarker in real-world evidence. Can you please elaborate what types of digital biomarkers we are looking here in short-term and long-term, and what has been the progress on this aspect?
3: So I think it's a question for 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 me, uh, and I was mentioning the digital biomarker, especially with the story of this uh, company called uh, uh, Bioserenity and this uh, smart uh, T-shirt catching information and and uh, coming from the uh, mainly from the electrocardiogram and the electroencephalogram. So when we talk about digital biomarker, I think. Th- Honestly, the world is not perfect because it's, it's, it's a, it's a biomarker, but compared to the typical and classical biomarker coming from a, a biologic sample or, or diagnostic made at the lab, there the idea is to see if we could recognize and turn a digital information, something, so monitored with these sensors, into a signature, into something which could be helped to predict Something uh, occurring. So exactly as we do for the for the uh, in genomic sequencing, for instance, the idea would be to say, okay, I've measured, I've seen tons of electrocardiogram, and now um, I've understood using a a learning algorithm, which is the small event which uh, allows me to. Uh, categorize the type of disease or predict something which will uh, occur. So it's, um, it's something um, um, it's um, really my idea there was to explain that if the data are evidences, is the data accurate, thanks to the new uh, data mining and data analysis technology, we could simplify that data and turn that into signature which will be useful then for uh, um, uh, companion diagnostic prediction or uh, easy interpretation of the, uh, of the disease.
0: Thank you, and uh, I see we have no more questions here, so uh, this concludes today's presentation. We hope you found today's webinar informative. Again, feel free to contact us uh, with any additional questions or feedback with the contact details slide, um, I pushed out on your screen at this time. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.